Welcome to the Fire and Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Sorrow. I believe in taking massive, inspired action from an awakened soul. This show is a weekly dose of spiritual principles, personal development, and success strategies for creating an epically aligned life. Here's to your wildest dreams coming true with less hustle, grit and grind, more flow, ease, and grace. I'm the founder of the Live Video Mastery Academy, a TV host, speaker, best-selling author, and proud fur mama, and I'll be sharing real talks with successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, best-selling authors, spiritual luminaries, and high-performance experts in this unfiltered, transformational, and soul-centered podcast. Things are about to get real. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Fire and Soul. This is something that I don't typically do, but I'm going to dive right in with the bio of my next guest, who happens to be one of my best friends of 26 years. So let me read this to you, and then I'm going to bring him on the show. I cannot wait for you to meet him. You're going to love him the way that I did the moment that we met. Daniel Gibson is a passionate community leader and advocate for social justice who spent the past 15 years championing causes to eradicate racism and poverty in the United States. He's created and implemented nationally recognized programs for Oh, this moves me. For jail and prison reform, affordable housing, access to medical care for the chronically homeless, HIV slash AIDS prevention, and LGBT rights. Today, Daniel works in philanthropy as the regional vice president for a private foundation in Florida and is a current Robert Wood Johnson Culture of Health Fellow. He's dedicated to addressing the root causes of the economic and health disparities experienced by vulnerable vulnerable, and marginalized communities. He's an undergraduate double major degree from Yale University and holds a master's in social work. He has recently launched his newest venture, a video podcast called The Up and Down Show, by the way, with his East Coast bestie, Upinda, highlighting his professional work and personal life passions. Guys, I will include all of the resources for Daniel's work, including his new podcast in the show notes of this podcast. But Daniel, my friend, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Here. Hey, Shell, how are you? It's so good to see you. You know what? This may be our new way of just connecting. Like we have that 26-year friendship where, you know, six months could go by and we don't talk. And then we, of course, true friendship, you pick up where you left off. And I was like, if this is what's going to take, Daniel, come on the show. <laughs> but the time has never been. I was holding out until you asked me. <laughs> Well, you were my first choice and anyone else was a a distant second for wanting to have a conversation about what's happening in the world and all of the racial and social injustices that obviously you've seen and fought and battled and helped to eradicate your entire upbringing. And I also, yes, you mentioned something right before I hit record. You're like, can we let your listeners know how this came to be so you can share that story, my friend? You reached out to me. We've been talking about getting together and just touching base and catching up with each other. And uh, you reached out to me, I think it was yesterday. Yes. It was yesterday. And you're like, oh, I would love to get to know you. And by the way, will you be on my show? And we'd be on my show today. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I asked for yesterday. By the way, just to autocorrect, I did not say get to know you. It was like catch up with you. Right, Definitely right, right. know my, my friend. But yes, and, and, and you were like, uh, today's pretty good. <laughs> I do have a job. But I said, well, what's your next available? And you gave me and a I said time. Tomorrow. And I moved actually the time to get you in this slot. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But your purpose of saying that was like, 
hey, I'm not coming on fully prepared to give like an entire lecture and resources and bullet points of what to do, what not to do. This is a casual, candid conversation that will highlight, yes, a little bit of our friendship. I'm a white woman. You're a black man. I know you consider yourself a biracial man. We're going to talk about that. But really, the work that needs to be done in the world, and also from your point of view, you're a passionate, non-angst leader. And that's who I'm looking to really be educated by, inspired Mm -hmm. by, empowered by, and what I want to share with my listeners. So if we could just give a, a micro background, I'd love to have you on another time and just get into depth about how we met and the coolness and the serendipity of all of that, but a little background of your upbringing and how you came to be in the position that you are now as a leader in your space. Sure. Well, that, that's a very long story. And I know. It, that's why I said a, a very micro Cliff Notes version. Yeah, but I, I, I grew up in L.A. and I grew up in the inner city in L.A., which actually I hate that word, but I grew up. That's a word that people respond to and understand. So um, I, I grew up in the inner city, um, poor, and with black father, white mother, and Long story how it happened, I ended up getting the scholarship to go to a private school in Palos Verdes, uh, the Chadwick School. And that was the beginning of a change in my life that I couldn't really appreciate at that time. From Chadwick, was um, accepted and went to Yale University, where I studied both psychology and theater. And then I went off on this crazy life of an actor, which is when we met. And I had that life. And then when I was 30... I realized I needed to change energies. There was a lot of things going on in my life that needed to, my priorities in life needed to change. And so again, long story, we can talk about some other time, went to Florida, moved out to Florida on a whim and decided to go back to school. Couldn't figure out what I wanted to do besides acting because that's all I've ever done. And social work kind of presented itself to me. And to tell you the truth, I was uh, someone who grew up poor, but we never as a family ever utilized sort resources. So I didn't know what social work was. And when I read about it and understood what a career of a social worker could look like, I was interested. And so I ended up getting my master's in social work out here in Florida. And uh, that just began this life of giving back after I always say after a life of having that selfish life of an actor where it's all about me, 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 me. Finally, I was looking out into my community and seeing so much need and needs that even as a man of color, as a black man, needs in the black communities that I wasn't aware of. And Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of the quick version of how I got to where I am. And I I have been on every side of social work, everything from being a therapist to working at the community-based organizations, providing services for a lot of those populations you mentioned. And most recently, I am in this really odd, bizarre, privileged place of actually overseeing money, millions of dollars that go back into communities like I grew up in. And that is something, if you had told me even 10 years ago would be a reality, I, I would say you were crazy. How does it feel to be in this new, new reality? It, it's a humbling position. I will tell you that I, in my 15 years now of being a social worker, and I like to say that because people have a misunderstanding of what it means to be a social worker. They think of one thing, right? If some, maybe someone in the hospital that talks about sort of resources and, and what you need once you leave the hospital. But you know, I, I really have worked at the macro level in social work, looking at our systems and our, our ways of changing our systems that will make our world a more equitable place to live for all. And when I approach it from that lens, it is a humbling place to be because I recognize, even though I grew up poor and I could talk a lot about 
feeling poor still very much, even with my background, even with the salary I make, still feeling poor as a man of color. I realize I sit in a position of privilege and a position where many people of color don't even get a chance to even dream about. This is exactly why I wanted to chat with you, my friend, because you you can equally understand, right, the empathy and the humility of that position and yet the responsibility and empowerment of that position. I don't know a lot about the difference between like being a racist and or an anti-racist. And that seems to be a big conversation happening. And of course, the dichotomy of equality for all or hierarchy, which is just the way that it is, which is deeply systemic. Now, I am not political. I'm not an activist and I'm not going to pretend to be at all. But this is why I lean on people like you too, which by the way, is our first time having this conversation. This is why I called on you. And I was like, we've been friends for 26 years. I consider you in my top five best friends of my entire life. I'm so grateful for our friendship. And yet we've never had this discussion. And so you said to me right before we hit record, and it actually gave me the chills. And you said, Michelle, that was not your responsibility. Let's talk about why I didn't bring my blackness to our conversation or to our friendship. So before we dive into the anti-racism and racism aspect, which I would like to get your two cents on and more than your two cents, anything that you would like to share that can help to enlighten us, empower us, educate, inspire us. But why do you think you have never brought your blackness to the party of our friendship? Yeah, you know, that's a question that I have been thinking a lot about, specifically in the last five years with work that I'm doing in Miami, where I work in a historically black community. And it was coming to Miami, moving here for the job and working in this historic community called Overtown and realizing I had left the black community. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I was ashamed of being black. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about my, my internal racism myself. You know, it wasn't that. It was that I made a decision when I was young to go towards education. And in my experience of what that went with the schools I went to that were predominantly white, I made the decision to assimilate. And I didn't do it consciously. I did it because I could. I did it because I learned to speak a certain way and act a certain way. And I started to play codes, right, that would allow me into the room. And I didn't know I was doing it, but I did it. And I did it for decades. And so one of the reasons is it wasn't that I didn't see myself as a man of color, but it wasn't really important to me the way it is today. And this is before George Floyd. It's been something for the past four or five years. It has become more and more important to me to embrace my black heritage. And I realized, and I get a little bit emotional thinking about it, that even though I was never ashamed of it, I didn't wear it with pride. And part of that is because of the way the black community and black individuals are seen and treated. So I felt I was less threatening to my friends if I entered the room, interestingly enough, as a gay man rather than as a black gay man, right? So for so many years, from the time you met me, my identity as a gay man was so much more vital to my communication and my friendships and my interactions. And it was all I ever talked about. And yet I never talked about this other part of me that was so obvious when I walked into the room. So uh, that's kind of a, a quick version of it. And it, it, I do get emotional about it because when you ask my siblings, whether they are black and white, black or white, they'll say we're black. They all identify a white, a white mom and a black, a white mom and a black dad. Correct. And they identify as black. I'm the only one of my siblings who has always insisted on 
identifying as biracial. Mm-hmm. And that still is very important to me. And that's a whole nother show. But I realized in my biraciality, I never held up the blackness. And that I'm not responsible for the way that the community treats individuals of color, but I never did anything to change the way people treat people of color until recently. And, and we can talk about that if, that's, if that comes up. But uh, you know, I, I've dedicated my life now to really working with men in the prison system, working with communities of color, understanding the power differential and why people are dying 17 years earlier in this community versus Brickle, which is less than a mile away. And it comes down to just simple things like access to healthcare, education, and it's not okay. And it's, it's so exciting. There's a lot of darkness and sadness right now in this world, but I, as you know, I'm always optimistic and I see that there's such great opportunity mm. for change. Yes. And I believe that we are moving towards that change. That actually inspires me and gives me great hope too. If you can say that knowing what you've come from, what you've worked through, what you've processed, by the way, thank you for your beautiful, vulnerable share. You know, you guys, I don't really do much with video on this show, but I'm just sitting here like all tearing up, just so moved by, by your honesty. And I think that is the, the, the access point for true healing for humanity is if we can just own our biases, own our subconscious racism, own our lack of, of willingness to get educated or informed. You know why? Because it's hard work. Right. It's like sometimes I would I would think that what might be happening for a lot of people that are white or Hispanic or Asian or not black. Right. Well, if I put myself in a camp of a racist, well, there's shame in that. But if I put myself in the camp of of an anti-racist shit, that's too much responsibility and pressure and work because there's work involved. But yet, what would you say to those who might be in that camp? They're leaning to I want to claim being an anti-racist. What could that look like with just. I know you didn't come with resources prepared. That wasn't what it was supposed to be. But what would be a great way to start, would you say, for some healing within our own selves? First of all, I've never heard the word anti-racist before. So you you just educated me with that word. It makes sense to me. But I would say that that title does sound intimidating. It sounds like you are, like you said, sort of moving towards this cause. And I would say the very first thing is don't make it so complicated. Yes. Right. All anti-racism is, is good, moral thinking and loving and being. So I don't think you have to do much to be an anti-racist other than live it. First and foremost, live it. Yes. Live it, model it and honor it and put yourself in social networks where nothing but that is okay. That's it. So, so by the way, a huge win with the Supreme Court, right? Protecting LGBTQ from being discriminated against mm-hmm. for their sexual bias and preference. Huge. So I get, I'm just so, so, so excited for that. And for you, my friend, which is also just another reason why to be happy, but that's exactly it. You know, I, I'm going to share with my listeners. One of the things that I did is I was waking up in these last couple of weeks to my own subconscious and unaware biases is I first took a look at my Instagram feed and who I follow there. And I was like, oh my God, it's 99.9% predominantly white. Mm. Why? Right. And so I just started asking, I wasn't shaming or judging, but it was the first, it was just curious, curiosity of why. And then it was, oh gosh, you know, I've had almost 80, you know, episodes of this podcast and I've had three black male guests. 
Why? I have some really great friends and a very thriving, robust community online, and it's predominantly white by the 98 percentile. Hundreds of students have gone through my training programs. 99 is like percent is black. Why? And the only thing I could come up with is, okay, don't shame yourself. You're not a racist. You know, you're not a racist. You just weren't looking for that and seeking that out because it wasn't modeled to you. So when you said earlier, model it and then honor it, I thought this is my way of starting. Follow a bunch of accounts, right? That are conscious and kind and not the angst driven, you know, counts. Cause I, for me, that, that doesn't really work with the piece that I, I work so hard to cultivate within my soul. But so I so appreciate that. And then, you know, if you're going to hire a team or make new friends or go to get inspired or educated by new books or podcasts or whatever. Like you guys listen to Daniel's podcast, the up and down show, which again, I will, I will add a resource, but start to learn from people who don't look like yourself. Yes. Um, Yes. Yes. But I would do a caveat with that. Okay. Absolutely. Is don't do it for the sake of diversity. Yeah. Okay. Explain. Don't do it because you want to have black friends. Don't do it because you want to have black people on your page because that's false. Oh, I don't want anything performative. Yes, I hear what you're saying. It's got to be so, authentic. But, 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 but the opposite of that is have intention behind the diversification of yours. And by the way, this is not just a black thing, right? This is a, a Latino thing. This is a gay thing. This is an Asian thing. This is the people with disabilities thing. When and if you decide to incorporate those entities in your social network, into your education, have purpose behind it. Meaning, I want to learn from someone of a different race. I want to understand that person. I don't just want to see them. I want to see, I want to see them. I want to get them. And, you know, one thing I talk a lot with um, organizations who want to diversify their boards. That's a big thing. And this has been a big thing forever, right? We need a black person. We need a gay person. We need more women. We need more of this. And then these people get selected. So you got one black person, one woman, one person. of, And then those people come to the board meetings. And guess what? They never talk. They're never deferred to. When they do speak up, often they're sort of, oh, well, that's not, we're not, we can't do that right now. If you are going to intentionally reach out to another community and bring them in, give them not just a seat at the table, but give them a voice Mm. and a place in your heart and in your life Mm. with intention. Otherwise, you cannot be a racist with a Facebook full of white people and still be down for the cause. Absolutely right. We don't know what's happening behind the scenes. That was so beautifully put. I love that. My intention for changing up my feed was because I wanted to be informed in new ways that I was. I wanted to be educated at things that are clearly happening for the black community, the gay community, all these communities that I'm just, it's not really been my identity. Um, And I wanted to be more so even inspired. Right. And so I hear all of that and I know, you know, my heart and I don't need to prove anything. Right. And, and, and my listeners know too, but I didn't want to be anymore and I couldn't be after the murder of George Floyd. I couldn't go back to life and especially business as usual. Mm. It was like, okay, so what does that look like for me going forward without it being performative, with it being sustainable for a deep lasting impact, whatever I could model, but it's mainly for myself. If anyone picks up some inspiration, awesome. I just want to live my life. It's kind of like living a life of abundance or, you know, growing my business or growing my team or keeping peace in my heart and compassion and empathy. I do that for me. If people pick that up along the way, awesome. But I'm not going to preach and tell you you should do that. Mm-hmm. 
You know, That's, it's the same principle. Absolutely. You know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm realizing one of the more beautiful things is when people are intentional and, and vulnerable and real in their interests. And I see that you're talking to the camera. I need to talk to the camera when I talk. <laughs> I, I'm very smart, Michelle. I like I your know. game. <laughs> I think you're my smartest friend ever, not just because you went to Yale, but like you're right, literally just super smart. I'm going to try to. That's very odd for me, though. Um, <laughs> I teach live video mastery to like presidential candidates. I'm sitting there watching you going, ooh, I'm learning just by watching. Uh, But I'm just thinking, you know, something happened to me recently. You know, I don't have a huge Facebook following. I I don't maybe, I don't know, a couple thousand people. But I posted something recently and it was from a very honest and raw place of me sitting in my apartment, choosing not to march, choosing as a person of color who is connected to this issue locally seeing the people that I work with and fund marching and I'm not marching with them. I'm having tons of guilt. And what I realized is I can use the places that are comfortable and, and meaningful for me. So I started to use my social network. So that's kind of why the up and down show really, we've taken this direction with the up and down show, but I also wrote this post on Facebook and I got over 500 likes on this post, which for me is a record. Like I'm like, I, I never get 500 likes of anything. And it, then not only did I get all these likes and loves from strangers, but I had a woman from Charlottesville, a strange, a stranger, a white woman from Charlottesville who contacted me in a very raw, honest, vulnerable place, telling me about her experience being in Charlottesville, having the Black Lives Matters protest happening in front of her store, having her store be vandalized, having some derogatory things written about police and Black Lives Matter on her store, and her making decisions without talking to her friends that she was going to keep all of that on her wall in honor of Black Lives Matters, but she needed to do something more. And what more could she do? And what was so beautiful was that she reached out to me, a stranger, who could have just come hard to her. And I felt the love in that email exchange. And I gave her my heart and my passion and what I thought she could do, which was another post that I did as well. And, but my point with that is her intention was so clear. It was, she didn't do it on a post. She didn't do it publicly. She did it privately. Mm-hmm. And it was so clear and it moved me. And that's what we're talking about. And yes, my dear, I, I know you and I know your intention. And I think we can look, we all do learn so much from you and your intention. So thank you for what you do. I think the post that you're talking about is the one where you start, I'm an Ivy League educated man. Is that yes, uh, it was that one. That, well, actually, it was the one before, but that one also, that one got a huge. I'd like to read that one if it's okay. This one stopped me in my scrolling tracks and I just started to weep. Compassion for you, acknowledgement for your bravery and your vulnerability. And it was just, it was, it was a game changer for me. And that's, that was the moment that I decided to wake up and to be intentional about my life. And so I'll read it guys. He wrote it on June 5th and it's this beautiful image of him looking straight into the camera wearing, of course, a black hoodie. I'm an Ivy League educated man. I've traveled the country and this world professionally and personally. I have a loving family and amazing friends all across the globe. I love my job and my life. I've made a career fighting for social justice and equity, ending poverty and racism once and for all. I've been to the White House and I've spoken to heads of federal departments about ways to improve our justice system. Yet, When I walk out the safety of my own home, all they see is that I am a black man. Yeah. You know, when I 
when I wrote that, um, I was having a really dark day that day. Mm. And you know me, my, my, I, I, I exude light. Mm. That's my hallmark. Um, but I, had a re- I was having a really dark day. I, as I talked about, I was having a lot of guilt about was I doing enough? I also have been working around this issue for 15 years and nothing seems to be changing. Mm. You know, I, I talked about my privilege earlier today, but I also know that I am judged for being gay, for being black. And I've meant those words. And I think that what's happening in this country is people are understanding regardless of what position you hold in this world. When you are a person of color and your community, maybe they don't hate you, but they're indifferent. How many times people tell me, oh, I don't think of you as a black person, Mm -hmm. which has always been insulting to me, but I've never said anything because I know they mean it. They mean, oh, you're intelligent or, oh, you're funny. And, oh, I feel comfortable around you. And I realized that day that I wasn't using my social media to say, I am a black man. And I know you see me as a black man. You just feel comfortable with me because I have changed. Because I have changed the way I speak. I have I changed the way I dress. I changed the music that I listen to. I date white men. So you feel comfortable with me. And yeah, so those were, those were honest words. So those were honest words. And it's a healing process that I still go through. Yeah, so powerful. Thank you for sharing such, such vulnerability with me today. This is just beautiful. Mm. You know, if- wow, I was not expecting to get emotional on this. This was my time to uh, see my shell bell. <laughs> exactly. This is what we do when we just hang out. But we've never had this conversation. And, and that's what really spawned me to call you first and be like, can it, can it happen now? Like, I didn't mean to put the urgency in there and scare you. But I just realized, like, why haven't we? Now, you've clearly shed light on that. You didn't identify as it, so you didn't bring it to the table. But I really love that distinction that you felt very comfortable leading with your, you know, your gayness versus your yeah. blackness. You know, I was excited about that. You, you fact, are the you rainbow, like, you are the rainbow care bear. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, 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 and what about the pride? And, and yes. if you didn't like me being gay, you're not going to be in my life. Yes. If you talk shit about a gay person, you ain't in my life. But not black people. But black, I, I never had that kind of insistence around being a black man. Yeah, and when you just said um, a moment ago something to the effect of that would hurt you when people would say, I don't see your color. First of all, I'm so sorry for that, right? But it reminded me of um, something that I saw somewhere, and it might have come from the conscious kid on Instagram, but it was, don't tell me you don't see my color. Tell me you see my color and you honor me. And while you haven't lived my experiences, you want to understand more about my experiences. And it was, you know, he, he was so beautiful and, and articulate. And I shared it in one of my stories as just part of what anything I could do. But I was like, I never thought about that either. I never, because I always lived this life of, I don't see color. And it's like, actually, do you or, or do you just don't, you just don't say you do. Of course you see color. Mm. say you see the color and honor the color or the disability or the gayness or whatever it is, honor it. It's okay. But I think as, as humans, we've gotten so scared to say anything at all, right? Mm. And you're seeing this happen right now. There's such a divide. If even people trying to come together, white 
women of privilege, for example, in my position, trying to get it right, trying to do the right thing. And it's like, I think it comes down to this intentional thing. It's mm-hmm. like, if you just know who you are in your own heart and you lead from that space and you model from that space and you honor from that space, which is exactly what you've, uh, I think, shared and inspired me to do today, which I know will no doubt impact the thousands of, of listeners that tune into my show. That's it. That's if that's the best that we can do, that is going to be effective and it will have a ripple effect. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I beautifully said, and I'm honored to have this time to talk to you, Shell, and for the work that you do and for the passion that you do it with and for you honoring me. And the one thing I wanted to say is you talked about getting it right. And I think mm-hmm. we need to stop trying to get it right and just mm-hmm. start doing the right thing. Yes. Oh, what a great distinction. And I, I, you know, people ask me all the time, like, I don't know what to say, but while you're trying to figure it out, people see you saying nothing and make assumptions. And so stop trying to get it right. And I also always let people know when we do change, what does change require? Change by definition requires that someone's reality must change. They must give something up for any change. Someone must give up at least one person, one group, one population, one community has to give something up in order for something to change. That's scary. And so if you, if you think change isn't messy, if you think change isn't scary, if you, don't, if you think change isn't confusing, then you're not working towards change. Yeah. So stop trying to get it right. And do the right thing. And do the right thing. And everyone in their soul knows what the right thing is. A hundred, even the racist, even the most bigoted person knows they're being evil. They know they're suppressing individuals. Yes. They know it's not right, but it's about power with them. Of course, because it's certainty. And I think that what's happening right now, the people that wherever they fall, and it's not just the left or the right or the black or the white or, you know, hierarchy or equality. There's so many different dynamic realms to this. We, we don't even know yet what's happening, but I do believe that what you said in the beginning is that there, there's hope to be had for a reason, right? When things like this happen, people can do the flight freeze or flight sort of psychology thing. You know more about that than I do. Yeah. And so when you do nothing, you're right. Assumptions can be made. So deep down in our soul, we know what the right thing is. But even the, the racist, it's like right now, everything is, is, is unfolding and it's crumbling before our eyes in some ways. And in some ways not, it's going to be a long, long time coming. And so if we hold on to one identity, then that's certainty. Mm. Right? Because what else do we have? If this is the way I've always been and this is the way it's, you know, who, I, who I've been my whole life, then how do we let go of that? Kind of like the honest conversation you had with yourself that was so brave and awesome that you shared five years ago of like, what is up with this? Why am I not owning my blackness as much as I own my gayness? Yes, 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 yes. You know, I, I have a lot of people who work in this field and there are many advocates who will often say, my oppressor needs to sit down for a second and let us lead. And I've always understood that, but I've also fought it. And I, I've sat in rooms with my Robert Wood Johnson culture of health. I got these thought leaders from around the country, all 50 states almost represented now. And people are talking about this. And I'm the one guy that says, I disagree. Because if we're not letting the white heterosexual privileged man have a voice, then all they can do is have fear. And so 
one of the most beautiful things that I am seeing in this time are my white brothers and sisters marching and posting and not even knowing if they what Black Lives Matter means, but knows that they, they, they're going to say it, damn it, right? I don't think they need to sit down. I don't think you need to sit down, Michelle. I think you need to stand with that beautiful smile and, 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 and lead. And you are doing that. And I thank you for that. And, I, and, and I'm starting to hear some other Black leaders understand. Now they're saying, this isn't a Black issue. Because by the way, it's not a Black issue. I've had lots of people reach out to me who I haven't spoken to in a long time saying, oh, I'm so sorry, Daniel. And at first I, I was saying, okay, but by the 10th time, I started to say, what are you sorry about? Why are you sorry for me? You should be sorry for you because this is the world that you live in. Mm. This is not a black issue. This is a human race issue. Yes, thank you. It just happens to be black. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a human race issue and it will only get better when the entire human race gets behind this issue. Beautiful, which is why there is an importance for those who are still sort of living under an old identity that you should be hashtagging, no, all lives matter. It's like right now, of course, we know that all lives matter. This is a human race issue. But for right now, can we just focus on black lives, right? Like, because that is the way that we need to come together and we can't lean on them to do the work. They've been trying to do the work for 500 years. This is a human race issue, but we must put the micro focus on black lives mattering now, LGBTQ black lives, trans trans black lives, All black lives matter. In the gay community, people are always surprised when I say that. I'm almost always the only black guy in a gay room. And there is huge racism. And people go, how can that be? Well, guess what? When you're white and you've been picked on your entire life for being gay, and then you get into a community that is predominantly white, you are now the main rooster in the, in, the, in the field, right? And so all of a sudden, you it's interesting to see that the oppressed take on the oppressor when they can the role of the oppressor. And so, yeah, black gay lives matter because black gay men and women don't have the same experience in this, in their communities, just because they're gay. We don't get a a pass. So yes, right now it is about black lives. And I, I'm really, you're very good at what you do, Michelle, because my words could have been misconstrued. And I'm so grateful that you brought it back to though. This is a human race issue and it's all of our issue. Right now, it is about promoting that Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. Amen. That that is where we're going to wrap up. You know, I could talk to you for hours. Um, I wish that we had more time. We'll get you back on soon, my friend. I'd like it if you'd be a regular guest, if you'd be so willing. Anytime, Shell. Honestly, this is fun. You know I love you. And um, I also like to talk. (laughs) And I like, I, I I can talk about my podcast. I can't wait to, like, actually talk to you about my podcast. It's so, you've been doing this thing for a while now. And it just happened by accident. So yes, I, I love you. It's long overdue and you needed a platform, you know, a platform is a mic and a voice and you've got a powerful message to share with the world. So I'll absolutely link your podcast to the show resources for this episode. I'll link all the ways which people can follow you. This is such a powerful conversation for me. I haven't had this much of an impact in my soul in a long time on my show. So I just want to acknowledge you just as who you are in the world. And of course, you're one of my besties. So I love you, my friend. Um, We'll have you back on very soon. And I'll connect with you off recording very soon as well. Have a beautiful rest. I love you, Michelle. Mm. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fire and Soul podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at fireandsoulpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.